Well, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Ian Fenton, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's my privilege to open up God's word for us today. Let me just pray for a moment before I do that. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God. You have given us your word. It is complete. It is sufficient. Lord, help us to uh, hear it and apply it into our hearts today. Lord, nobody, we all need to hear from you. Nobody needs to hear from me. So hide me behind your word today. Thank you, Father. Amen. Uh, there's a lot of fake news at the minute in the, uh, the media. I don't know if you've noticed that. You have fake news here, fake news there. I, I don't know about you, I have a real problem with fake news. Uh, I don't mean the, the individual stories, I mean the concept. You know, this is whether you, uh, some people call it post-truth politics. Post-truth, that's a great phrase, isn't it? Um, whatever you're defining it, you know, somebody is writing something that is provably wrong. So we know it is wrong, and they're writing it for their own benefit. Now, when I grew up, I don't know about you, when I grew up, that was called lying, to be honest with you, uh, plain and simple. Well, what I find staggering is that even though I know that, uh, even though I know it's a lie, I'm still tempted to think that the perpetrator, I think perpetrator is a good word, the perpetrator is what? Entertaining? Uh, a good leader speaking, perhaps speaking for the silent majority. That's me, by the way. If you, you know, silent majority is always, always me. Uh, and yet they're lying. They're lying deliberately for dishonest purposes. And this says something about their character, I think. This is something about the character, and that's, I think, what I need to know about them. Not necessarily these lies. And I don't challenge it. I don't try to just let it go. I say, oh, well, yes, but they're saying something that needs to be said. Well, there's no smoke without fire. That's a good one. Uh, or yes, they've, but they've got a point in there somewhere. Maybe because I can't be bothered. Maybe because I do actually genuinely like the person. I think somehow they're a person to be admired. Maybe because their, their lies reinforce my own prejudice. Or their lies help me to justify my own position. I don't know what it is, but, but fake news is something that I find troubling. But this is not a new thing. We, we sound, we've just given it a new title. It's not a new thing. This recorded instance is going back 3,000 years. As we're going to see today, it's certainly been a problem for the church for a long time, where some of the teachers of the church were replacing what was the good news of Jesus with fake news. So we're going to dig into that in the book of Jude. Uh, you can find it, as Mary Lou was helpfully uh, saying there, if you go to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, turn back a page, that's where Jude is. A uh, short book, uh, written as a letter by Jude, uh, and I trust that even though it's a short book, we're going to really be uh, served from God's word and, and be able to uh, use it in our lives. A um, little bit of background, just to set the scene. Uh, we don't know exactly who Jude was, but we're pretty sure he's the half-brother of Jesus. Because uh, verse 1 there, he says that he's the brother of James. James was another half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. And uh, the letter is very similar to what you find in the book of uh, Second Peter. So we think that Peter probably had a copy of this on his shelf when he was writing, writing, writing his letter. Like many letters at the time, it starts off by saying who it's from, Jude, 
and who it's to. You can see there, to those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. I think called, loved, and kept would be a good definition of a, quick definition of a Christian. Uh, and so we th- it looks like he's writing to all Christians. Because of the subject matter, he's probably got in mind a couple of specific churches, but he doesn't say who they are. Uh, and he's pretty riled about this. I mean, when you read that, he's a, quite an angry guy. You know, he's having a bit of a, seems like it might be a, a bit of a rant. And so we're going to jump around a little bit just to get a sensible structure as we go through this. And really helpfully, he says why he's written the letter. Uh, verse 3, he was very eager to write to the churches about their salvation, the joy that is the very center of the Christian faith. And yet, he feels this is far more important, and so he's going to put that aside and write to them about false teachers. Does this sound familiar to you? This is, this is most of my days. Most of my days, I start my day with a plan that says, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and it is neat, and it is well-timed, and nice intervals for, for something to eat, perhaps. Uh, and then we end up doing X, Y, and Z, or usually X, Y, and Z, 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 Z. And, and it bears no relation to the day I planned, and I come back and I'm frustrated. And, uh, I shouldn't be frustrated. That's bad thinking. X, Y, and Z must be more important than A, B, and C. And so Jude is feeling the same way. Maybe that's why he's a bit ranty about it. I don't know. Um, so it's passionate. It's a passionate letter. A lot of the other letters we read in the Bible are written by Paul. Now, if Paul was writing this letter about false teachers, he'd have a very logical, structured thing there. False teachers, because they say this. Jude's pointing us towards the character of these false teachers, and that's why his, this letter is different. He's pointing us towards the character of false teachers and what they're like, which I think is very helpful. So if you are taking notes today, and I would encourage you to do that, you'll see they've got some helpful headings here on the uh, paper. We see we're going to talk about three things. We're going to look in the passage today about the features of these false teachers. What are their features? The fate of these false teachers. And number three, how to fight false teachers. So the features of the false teachers, the fate of these false teachers, how to fight false teachers. And you can see there the, the top there, the real point I want us to get is that God keeps Christians from false teachers so that we can contend for the faith. God keeps Christians from false teachers so we can contend for the faith. So let's dig into that. Uh, first of all, let's have a look at the features of these false teachers. Boy, Jude has got a lot of things to say. I mean, he is wound up. Uh, First thing he points out really is verse 4 that they are ungodly. By ungodly, uh, we say that his, their life is sort of being characterized by living for themselves, not by living for God. Now you, can see, you can see he's upset about anything that's ungodly because he uses the word godly five times in, a, in the short letter. He's always out ungodly, they're ungodly, ungodly. Um, it's about what they're doing. It's just as much about what they're thinking about what they're doing. They're not thinking the way that Christians would think about things. Uh, their behavior is just as flawed as their thinking. Uh, their life is just all about them. 
It's all about them and what they want, what they're looking for. Uh, in that same section, he says that they have perverted, by that he means they've drastically changed the good news about Jesus that we call, we call that word the gospel, the good news about Jesus. See, they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. This is really important. Uh, we know we do things bad every day if we're being honest with ourselves. We, we either do things that are bad or we think things that are bad. Perhaps we, don't, we just stand aside and we don't do the good things we think we should do. We don't think about good things. The Bible calls that sin. That's something we all do. And that's a real problem because God is holy. He's holy, he's perfect. He cannot stand sin. And so we cannot stand in God's presence. God is going to punish like any good judge. He's not going to let us off from that. He is going to punish us for that. And that means that he would send us to hell for eternity. And that is a huge problem for the human race. But God's got a solution. God has a solution, and so he sends his son Jesus to die for us, to die in our place, to take the punishment that is rightly ours. And to prove it worked, to prove his credentials, he rose from the dead three days after his death. All we have to do is to believe in him, believe in that truth, to repent. By repent, it means turn our lives around, stop running our hell-bound race that we're going to sing around at the end of this, but start heading towards heaven instead, living more like Jesus. And then, through that faith, we are reconciled to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But what if you believe in Jesus, but you don't want to repent? What if you believe in Jesus, and you don't want to as I say, Christians sin every day and we fight that and we hate it. What happens if you don't fight your sin? What happens if you don't hate your sin? You love your sin. It's nice. There might be one particular sin. It's your, it's your favorite sin. It's your one you look after and you cuddle and you're like, oh no, this is my favorite sin. Yeah, God, you can have those, but this, is, this one's my favorite sin. I'm, I'm going to look after this one. It is more precious to me than the Son of God who died a terrible death. That sin will destroy you. Ironically, you think it will fulfill your life and it is going to kill you and destroy you. For such a person, they have not become a Christian. They have not repented. For such a person, there is no good news. The bad news is that without repentance, the penalty, it is clear, is eternity in hell. Sorry if the word hell shocks you. It's real. Jesus talks a lot about it. Um, just because someone doesn't talk about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But, aha. What happens if you can find a Christian teacher who will agree with you? What if you can find a Christian teacher who says, yeah, well, I know that's a sin, but don't worry about it. It's okay. You're all right. You're all right as you are. There's no challenge in it. What happens, or even worse, if the teacher says, don't worry Grace covers everything. Grace covers all your sin. You do not need to be obedient. You can sin as much as you want to. God has forgiven you through Jesus. That is what the false teachers were teaching here. They were saying to the people uh, in the early churches when they got in, don't worry, grace covers it all. You can come and sin as much as you want to. 
No wonder people followed them. That's, that's always going to be a popular religion, isn't it? Yeah, sin, you know, do whatever you want to. It's okay, you're forgiven. A Christian is someone who's turned from running that hellbound race. If you're still running, you are, you are not a Christian. You are not forgiven. You are in deep trouble. And this is what Jude is calling the Christians to remember. They're calling, to, they, he's writing them to say, uh, God is going to keep you in your faith. These teachers are uh, taking you down a wrong path. Listen to the gospel, do not follow them, and God is going to keep you. You can see there back in, in verse 3, Judas talking about that faith once and for all, this faith that does not change, this firm foundation, ye saints of the Lord. We just sang about it. It's been passed down through Jesus and the apostles for 2,000 years. The human heart hasn't changed in 2,000 years. God hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He's still holy. We're still sinners. What's morally wrong 2,000 years ago is morally wrong today. We still need Jesus to, to die and to, to save us. We still need to believe and repent. That is the firm foundation found in his excellent word in the Bible. So they have perverted the gospel. What else have they done? Well, they've sneaked in there. Can you see that? They've, uh, they have uh, slipped in among you. False teachers don't declare themselves up front. They don't come in, uh, good morning. Uh, I'm a false teacher. I'm a, perhaps an itinerant teacher. I'd like to teach your people about how great it is to sin. I bet they didn't say that. Uh, they, would, they would have seemed a, quite an ordinary person and they're, and they're trying to be... Maybe perhaps they're quite persuasive. It looks like they're persuasive because later in the book we see that certainly some, some people followed them in the church. We don't know how many. So Judy started trying to sketch out this uh, character sketch of, of these false teachers. And then uh, he very helpfully in verses 5 to 10 gives us some examples. He says, all right, look, look I've given you some ideas. Let's get into the details now. Uh, let me tell you a bit more about what they're like. Uh, and in verses 5 to 7, he's going to give us three. Jude does lots of things in threes. He likes threes. He's going to give us three examples from the Old Testament. Uh, and he says they're there to remind his readers. They're going to remind them about uh, God's attitude towards sin in this way. We're not going to have a chance to dig into each one. I'll just give you the reference. You can go and look it, out, go and look it up later. We'll just touch on it briefly. Uh, verse 5, uh, Judas is reminding them about Israel when they're coming out of Egypt. Uh, they've, uh, they've been saved from Pharaoh, uh, plagues through the Red Sea, miracles, all that stuff. And what do Israel do? They set up false gods. They set up a, a golden calf, denying God almost immediately. You can see that's the kind of thing that the false teachers are doing, denying God. Uh, verse 6, this is a, a reference back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, where some of the angels, they call the Nephilim there, reject God's authority. They leave the job that God has given them. They go do, they go, they go do other things. Uh, they have rejected God as, the, or, as their authority in the same way that these false teachers have rejected God. Uh, Jude 7, Jude 7 around, uh, reminds us about Sodom and Gomorrah. That's in Genesis 19. 
uh, where, where those cities are judged for their sexual immorality. Again, that is the kind of thing that these false teachers are doing. Jude is not saying that these are exactly the sins that the false teachers are, are characterized by, but they're like that. They're examples of what it's like. They're denying God, they're rejecting his authority, they're marked by sexual immorality, polluting their own bodies, he says there. Uh, he then moves into verse 9, and, and to be perfectly honest with you in preparing for the sermon, this is, one, this is a tricky verse. So I'm just going to dig into it for a moment, uh, just so you can see what's happening. You might have questions about this. Um, this is a story that doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't come from earlier in the Bible. If you come to this church regularly, you'll know that in our sermons we'll occasionally quote perhaps a book or a film uh, perhaps a speech or a video, something, whatever, podcast, whatever. Uh, that's what Jude is doing here. He's quoting something that's going to be really familiar to his Jewish readers, but we don't know, we don't have that story, so we don't know particularly what it is. We've got some outline from what he says there. We know it's to do with the archangel Michael, with their disputing over Moses' body with the devil, but we don't know the detailed story. But what, what, is, uh, what most scholars are agreeing, what, what seems to be clear, is that uh, it's an example of someone filled with pride. Judas is saying these false teachers are filled with pride. There is no humility in them at all. Uh, not only is there no humility in them, they do not understand uh, God's word, verse 10. Uh, they slander it, perhaps saying it's wrong, perhaps they're saying it's not culturally relevant. Uh, uh, it's not, uh, we're, we're first century Romans, we're so sophisticated, you know, we have roads, we have plumbing, what more do we need? Uh, we don't need something as ancient as the word of God, right? Uh, and you can fill in each century since then the phrases of whatever latest technology is and say we don't need the word of God. It's always the same. Uh, you know, we do need the word of God, it is, it is permanent and useful for us, it is the, it is where how our faith is communicated to us. Um, so when we're thinking about the features of these false teachers, they are ungodly, they deny Jesus, they pervert the good news about him, they sneak into the church, they're rejecting authority, they're sexually immoral, they're proud, they follow the animal desires of their body and their heart, and they do not understand and slander the Bible. And God has made us aware of this. God has made us aware of this so he can keep us from false teachers. So that we can contend against them, contend for this faith that is our faith. These are tests we can apply to the character of false teachers. More about that in a minute. And, and Jude then in, in verse 12 is perhaps uh, giving us some word pictures about their character. They're an offense at, at the celebration of communion. There are shepherds who prey on the flock. Clouds without rain. I mean, I know we've had two days of sunshine, but yeah, any day now, the council is going to announce a hosepipe ban. Yeah, I mean, after all that snow and rain, the ground full of mud... About five-day time, it's going to be a hosepipe ban. What happens in hosepipe bans? You're standing there, perhaps you've got a car that's dirty, perhaps you've got a lawn that needs uh, is parched, that sort of thing, and the cloud's rolling. And you think, here we go, this is great. And they roll out again. 
And you go, and it hasn't rained. And you go, what was the point of that? What was the point of the clouds? What was the point of these false teachers? They are fruitless. He gives us some other word pictures here, and some of these take us into our same point, the fate of these false teachers. He, you can see there how that uh, they are um, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are dead. They are fruitless. Uh, they are wandering stars whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Pictures of, of desperate, pointless death for these false teachers. If you go back and look at those three examples from verses 5 to 7, in each one, it says God judged them. God is not a judge who is going to stand aside and let sin ride. The judgment is for these people is clear, and Jude is giving it as an example to say, hey, these false teachers are going to be judged. Do not worry about that. And again, because he likes threes, he goes on there uh, to give us another uh, three examples. Uh, you can see there verse 11. Uh, he says they're like Cain. Okay, Cain, uh, he's in Genesis 4, kills his brother out of jealousy. He murders his brother. He's judged by God. He has to wander the earth until old, old age kills him. It was clear what God thought of him and that God judged him. Uh, Balaam there, you can find him in Numbers 22 if you want to look at that. And in 2 Peter 2, uh, he wants to preach only in return for cash. Uh, he was judged by God and his donkey actually. Uh, and it was clear what God thought of him. He was judged by God. Korah, that's in number 16. They, he and a, a large group of his mates didn't want to be under the authority of Moses and Aaron. They rebelled against them. They were judged by God. And he and his mates were killed in such a way that makes it very clear what God thought about them. Uh, again in verse 14, uh, Jude's going to give us another one of these examples from Jewish literature. We don't have that story. That, that this um, writing. Uh, the, the guy Enoch there seems to be uh, the Enoch in Genesis 5.24, chapter 5.24. Um, the point again is God is going to judge these false teachers. Just again, again, and again, the fate of these false teachers is that they are going to be judged. And Jude wants the church to remember this. That they're going to pay a high price for their fake news. They are going to be judged by God and spend eternity in hell if they do not repent and believe. You can depend on it. That's what Jude is saying. Part of God keeping us as Christian is reassuring us that God is not blind to this. God is not indifferent to this. They will receive justice from God. And so God encourages us to contend. He's saying that, yeah, if, you're, if you are the arguments, the, the personal cost, the standing up against false teaching is worth it. It is secured by our sovereign God to keep us, to keep us from these false teachers. Now, just emotionally, when I read this passage and consider my role here as an elder in the church, it makes me tremble makes me very uncomfortable. The importance of getting the teaching right is staggering, both for our church, but you can see from that comment, for me personally as well. 
And I'm sure all the, the folks who preach here and teach feel that same tension between the privilege of teaching, but also the responsibility and the need to, to get that faithful to the Bible. Fortunately, we're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in the strength of God. He sends us the Holy Spirit to help us. Well, we've looked at the features of these false teachers. We've looked at the fate of these false teachers. Now, because alliteration is a wonderful thing, I want to tell you how to fight these false teachers. Usually, the words contend, but that doesn't begin with F, so we're going to use the word fight. Um, now, next week, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to talk about how you might, we might inoculate ourselves, like you give a, give a, a young kid a jab for um, measles and all those kind of things. Next week, we're going to look a bit at that, about that, but this week, some more direct, responsive ways to fight false teaching. Uh, not that we're supposed to go around looking under every rock for false teachers. Uh, God hasn't made us Buffy the false teacher slayer or anything like that. Uh, what we are meant to do, but this is for when we come across it, we are to contend for the faith. So let me suggest a few ways. Uh, Luke had some great suggestions a couple of weeks ago from Second John. I'd urge you to check that out if you missed that. Uh, sermon. I'd urge you to check it out. If you didn't miss it, check it out again online. Um, but here are some suggestions uh, from parts of the Bible. Now, there are seven of them. Don't say, I don't give good value, right? Seven of them. You might struggle to squeeze them in that space, to be honest with you. But hey, when you come to me, you get good value, okay? That's all I'm saying. Now, the seven of them also, each of them has got a bit of a caveat, a bit of a twist. You know what I mean by caveat? Yeah, a bit of a twist. So just look out for those as well. Okay, number one. Here we go. Number one, pray. God has given elders to the church to help with this process of keeping Christians. Pray for the elders of this church. Pray for the elders of other churches that you know, that they would be faithful, motivated by the right things, that their character would be godly, not ungodly, that they would be fighting for humility. Uh, also pray that they would have wisdom, wisdom as they teach, wisdom for who they would let stand here and teach us. Uh, Luke told us not to, to welcome false teachers into our church, and that's great advice. So pray for our elders about this. The caveat here is just be careful not to confuse uh, style and tradition, perhaps, with uh, being a false teacher. Okay, there are different ways to teach. There are different ways in which we might express the good news about Jesus. Don't get too caught up in whether they're bald and got glasses or not. Okay, because that's not fair to me. Uh, okay, number two. Uh, challenge your teachers. Challenge your teachers if you think they are not, if you think we are not, if you think I am not teaching the word, if we are distorting the gospel. Those words, they're perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like Luke said, we're not talking about some minor issues about what we thought about Balaam's donkey. We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about the gospel, the good news, the core part of the Christian faith. If you challenge us, if you correct us on that, you are helping yourself you're helping us, you're helping the congregation. Do not hesitate to do that if you hear us preaching something you think is wrong. Uh, and Jude has set up some of the tests for you in there. He's given you the guidance to do that. Have they changed the gospel? Are they not being upfront about what they're preaching and teaching? Are they sneaking in the side door? Uh, do, are they setting up false gods, including ourselves? 
Do we reject God's authority, i.e. the Bible, perhaps, as these guys were, um, preferring their own dreams as the guidance for what they speak about? Um, perhaps preaching about society's values rather than what's in the Bible. Again, we don't want to be nitty-gritty, yeah, bounce donkey, whatever, We're talking about the, the gospel. Uh, let me just go off piece here just for a second. If anyone's coming to you and saying, I've had this dream from God, uh, and they say this, and he says this, check it against the Bible, okay? Because if it ain't in the Bible like that, it ain't a word from God, okay? That's your benchmark, um, yes, I've had a dream that you should go and rob a bank. No, that isn't from God because it says in here, don't steal. Uh, God does not talk to us in this age primarily through dreams, maybe never through dreams. He talks to us through this word, the Bible. That's why it's so important. Sorry about that. Just getting off the chest. Right, number three. If you need to challenge, no, go back to number two. If, if you need to challenge teachers about what they're teaching then number three that implies you've got to get to know what's in here okay you've got to get to know the basis the core of the christian faith how can you recognize false teaching if you don't know uh, what this says part of god keeping us as christians is giving us the bible as the guide so we can spot these false teachers uh, the caveat as we we're saying as luke was saying uh, how we can be full of truth full of the Bible, but lacking in compassion, lacking in love. Uh, uh, we have both truth and love in the Christian faith. Jesus was, yes, very firm about sin, but also very compassionate about sinners. So we don't want to beat people over the head with that. Uh, number four, also challenge uh, teachers if you think that our life is marked by ungodliness. Like we said, we certainly sin but like christians hopefully we fight sin we hate our sin we take god's side against our sin uh, elders and teachers should not be marked with what it says here ungodliness sexual immorality greed and all that stuff the caveat is yeah we do sin we are still human uh, so please don't put us on a pedestal but also don't put us in the rubbish bin you know we are human but our lives should not be characterized by that kind of ungodliness and again we can be thankful here for for the book of jude how in this passage uh, it sets out some of that, those characteristics that might define an ungodly life uh, number five we went number five number five uh, that implies get to know your elders get to know your teachers quite well get a sense of our character get a sense of how we live out this life we possess we profess excuse me um the caveat on that we need to recharge our batteries if you're ringing up at 11 30 night to say hi how's your life doing i'll get really grumpy with you at that point so we do need uh, as well as you getting to get us know us um we need some space sometime you know what i'm saying uh number six we do all this fighting against false teachers this contending against false teachers together in community uh, god has given us the church this loving caring truth loving community of those who are called and loved and kept the church is part of how god keeps us in our faith 
So when you're in life groups, perhaps talking over coffee afterwards, meeting up during a week for one-to-one Bible study, come to the course seminar, it's going to be great. Um, You get the opportunity to double-check your thinking, to say, you know, uh, last week's sermon, Ian Fenton said that uh, Sheffield Wednesday is a manifestation of God's love for us. That, I don't think that's in the Bible. That's true. It isn't in the Bible. And so you get to check that fact, because you may not have realized that's not in the Bible. You get to check that with someone else. And so you can come and challenge us the next week in that way. Uh, or even drop us an email last night. The caveat is look out for group think. What I mean by that is you might be in a life group with a group of other Sheffield Wednesday fans who actually think that that, that is true. And so uh, you, as the only Millers fan in the life group, realize that it is actually false Greek teaching. So you do have to look out for that a little bit as well. Uh, number seven, uh, the printing press, radio, TV, and the internet are all great inventions, but they can be used to provide vital content and they can be used to provide complete rubbish. So be very, very careful about the teachers you listen to or read or uh, especially on the TV and on the internet because it's hard to assess their character on a page. It's hard to assess their character behind the TV screen. Uh, for some of us, to be honest with you, I think we just got to stop reading this stuff because some of it is just, a lot of it is just trash. The caveat here is that there are folks who we can recommend to you, whose character we do know, whose content is very good. And so we can, whatever platform you like to listen to or to read we can find good teachers for you please come and talk to myself the other Ian Luke some of the other folks and we can recommend to you good uh, content on any media except in the media of interpretive dance I do not know any good content in the media of interpretive dance don't ask me and just to keep you on your toes number eight yes I know seven earlier uh, number eight um The Bible is not only without error, it is not only complete, it is not only sufficient, but it provides for us the final authority on matters. Sometimes authority we see being exhibited in other places, but it's always subject to the final perfect word of God. Uh, This is also how he keeps us, is he gives us the authority through the word for what we need. This is part of how he keeps Christians caveat there is that God puts people in our society in positions of authority he puts them there he says that in the Bible MPs, police officers, head teachers, doctors social workers it's clear that we are to submit to their authority unless they are clearly going against the word of God so don't get all weird on them when you go and see a doctor on Monday don't say to him where's your authority from in here well we should wrap up Listen, if you're a Christian here today, I hope that you can see from this and that you are conscious in your own life that you are called, that you are loved, and and particularly today that you are kept. As we're hearing there, Steve talking about how he has been kept through his life. There's a great example. And that love is extravagant, that call is compelling, and that keeping is sure and firm and is keeping us in this faith that has been passed down from Jesus and the apostles to ourselves. That is reassuring to know. That is great to know. 
But, he, but also, Jude is, is giving us a command with that. Yes, it's great to know. It's good to know it. Now contend. Contend for your faith. Do not sit back against this false teaching. Perhaps you're here today and you're not a Christian. I hope you, you can see that uh, out there on the World Wide Web and in the print and newsprint and everything, there are a huge variety of messages about Jesus. Can I suggest to you that you need to find the authoritative one, the one that is correct, the one is, yeah, challenging, but the one that is true, the one that is meant for good, not for selfish gain. Folks, you will find that in the Bible. It is not fake news. It is good news. Let's pray.